This is not a panel. This is a classroom. This is a crowd. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Um, I've never led a panel this big. Brothers, th Danny. Thank you very much. Uh, Jono and Brian, thank you very much. I want to rewind the tape and ask a couple of questions coming off of each, if I can. Um, each one was so encouraging and, and helpful. I want to give it adequate attention and reflection. So let me, let me just start, Brian, with, with your talk. Um, I'd love to hear reflections from any of you on how the grace of the Lord Jesus, not guilt, the grace of the Lord Jesus has bolstered your own relationship with Christ. How has the grace of the Lord Jesus bolstered, grown your own love of and relationship with Christ? I can call a name. Well, I'll, I'll jump in real quickly. Um, when I fell in love with the Lord Jesus, kind of in a sense all over again when I was 19, uh, I wanted to grow to be like Him and think like Him about everything. And that very soon when I got into uh, theological education impacted my view of the Bible. Because when you go to the scriptures, and you ask, what did Jesus believe about the Bible? You discover that he said, not a letter or a part of a letter will pass away. The scriptures cannot be broken. Your word is truth. And so inerrancy was an easy thing for me. Not that you can't marshal other arguments, and I think you can marshal a whole lot of other arguments. But the bottom line is my love for Christ contributed to my love and confidence, absolute confidence, in the Bible is God's infallible and inerrant word. And I can remember when I went to Southern Seminary, I had uh, lunch one day with a professor that was notorious for his liberal theology. He was part of the old school as we were transitioning. And um, he asked me why I believed the way that I did. And he said, you know, you have a PhD. I don't know how anybody with a PhD could believe the Bible is infallible and inerrant. And so I said to him what I just said, but then I said, uh, and I won't tell you his name, there's no need in that, but I said, you went to Germany and studied with all the, all the famous Germans, and in particular, you studied with Rudolf Bultmann. He had a big old grin on his face. He said, I did study with Bultmann. I went to church with him. I said, well, you know, Jim, uh, Bultmann said that Jesus had the same view of the Bible as any first century Jew. He believed it was the inspired word of God. I said, the only difference between Bultmann and me is that he thinks Jesus was wrong, and I think Jesus was right. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then he's God, and that means he's right about everything. And he said, never thought about it like that before. That makes sense. And we had lunch. <laughs> so for me, I've read tons on this, but when the bottom line comes, uh, when it comes to the bottom line, my love for Christ is why I love and trust the Bible. And then so much flows then from that uh, commitment. Thank you. Yeah. Other brother, Sabidi. Kristen and I have been married 28 years this um, past August. Um, I don't 
have to try and impress her. Um, I'm not fighting for her trust. Um, I'm not bargaining and haggling with her in exchange of favors. I'm accepted. Um, and there's great freedom in that relationship. And it's a dim picture of how grace makes me feel free mm. in the presence of Christ. I mean, I'm not justified by my prayer life. I'm not bargaining with him for some favors for X amount of Bible reading. Um, there's nothing about me he doesn't know. Um, and so there's a, there's a, because of his grace, I, I think that word freedom has just gotten richer and richer and dearer to me. Um, as I've learned and continue to struggle to learn to walk with it. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, I, I can't think about his grace without thinking about my conversion and just how I was. So I'm, I, I was an adult convert, so did not grow up in a Christian home and was very antagonistic and and hostile towards Christianity, uh, wanted nothing to do with God, and was the type of person who, the type of unbeliever who would look for Christians to get into arguments with. Um, and, and I'm so thankful that I had a, a mom who prayed for me for, for many years. And, and so when I, when I think about the fact that I was running to hell, mm willingly and freely, uh, and that God stopped me in my tracks, intervened, opened up my eyes, um, showed me his beauty and, and who Jesus is, and, and, and worked in me, giving me new birth and, and causing me to, uh, to love the one that I once despised. Um, th that that reality along with the, on a continual basis as, as a believer, experiencing the acceptance of God through Christ. Um, and, you know, despite all of my weakness and failure and sin, um, he, he's justified me. I'm seen as righteous. I'm declared righteous in, in God's sight. Um, and he, 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 he never gives up on me. Um, he never turns his back away from me. He, he'll, he'll never leave or forsake me. Um, and, and he continually extends out his, his arms in love for me to continually come to him regularly. And uh, I give, give God thanks and, and all the glory for that. Amen. How, how old were you? Excuse me? How old were you? I was 25. 25. Yeah. One more, maybe? Brian? I want to testify. Um, <laughs> so the gospel. So hearing the gospel regularly, um, it's, which is a combination of, or includes all of what we're talking about. And this is why Sundays are just so reinvigorating for the soul, just as we get to remember how, how much we're loved and how much God has moved to have us. Um, <laughs> like he literally, you know what I mean, uh, went through great lengths, um, condescended great heights 
um, through just a great work in, in redemption to, to have us and so that we would have him. And it's melting. It melts you. Um, you know, it's by the mercy of God that we become living sacrifices and are renewed. And me and Jahil were just talking earlier. It's in looking, it's in, in seeing him and seeing his glory in the gospel that we're, we're made to even want to be like him. We're made to be desire to be close to him. Um, and so just hearing about, so just hearing about how, how much he loves us uh, and what he's done for us. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what moves us to do anything in terms of faithfulness to him. I love church membership interviews because you sit and you ask people how they became Christians and they tell their stories. And I often find myself tearing up just as I listen to people recount how God had grace on them, you know. I think that's always an encouraging thing to do. Uh, Mark has done a good job of cultivating a culture in our church or his church. I always keep making that mistake. Um, I'm just asking people your testimony. So when you're at dinner tonight, if you don't know the testimony of some of the people sitting at the table with you, that's just a great thing to ask consistently of the people you spend time with. One more question. What time does this one go to, actually? I don't have the clock. 3.20. Okay, thank you. What are some practical ways the Lord, this was your question, Brian, what are some practical ways the Lord has used to grow your faithfulness and enjoyment in your prayer life? Some practical ways the Lord has grown your enjoyment of prayer. Uh, just a couple of things. I think that the more I understand that anytime I pray, whether it's by myself or with someone else or in public, I am expressing dependence on God, I'm praising God, then I am more eager to look for opportunities where I can pray, even when it's uh, prayers of asking for certain situations or resolutions or things, because because I'm just showing I'm reliant on him and that praises him and that, that honors him and that's, that's accurate and as it should be. And uh, I rejoice in making myself mindful of his goodness because I'm sure I'm just getting a little taste of it compared to what it's gonna be, what our experience is gonna be finally when we're with him. Uh, and I, I love those foretastes. It's kind of like when, uh, when Christian and Pilgrim's Progress catches the sight of the heavenly city, the beautiful city from a distance, you know, and that so strengthens him and encourages him. I, I very much feel like that uh, with prayer. And I, I very much feel like he wants to hear from us, which I, I, st I don't entirely understand that, but I'm really thankful for that. So, so I would say, I guess, the more I learn about prayer, I'm encouraged to pray. So this conference, one of the things I pray will come out of this conference. I pray that you, as an individual, but also that your churches will be encouraged to pray more the more you understand biblically and practically and theologically what prayer is. Uh, I think it, uh, experiencing answered prayers or a unique way that God shapes and bolsters that faith. So. Um, I remember when we were getting ready to start our church about four and a half years ago, uh, we had this list of like 
25 very specific things that we needed from the Lord. And we made the commitment to just write those things down. And for a year and some change, we just prayed for all of those things. And the week we covenanted together as a church, we just sat with a group of folks there and we just looked at that list and we went through all 25 of those things. And to just hear about the way that God did so much more than we asked them to, you just saw a room full of folks saying, this wasn't just a coincidence, but if we didn't keep track of it, it would have been like so much of our life. We pray for things and God answers them, but we're just so forgetful and so seeing how God has been yeah. faithful. Yeah. I assume there's people in here who th are, are thinking, I don't feel like he does answer my prayers. Yeah. I assume you may have had members of the church say that to you. Absolutely. Do you, so do you encourage them a journal? Or what, or yeah, do you yeah, tell them that story? What, what, how do you encourage folks feeling that way? Yeah. Uh, so I think, one, to keep track, but two, I think if we pray the way that the Lord calls us to pray, that I don't think anybody here that had lunch could say that God doesn't answer their <laughs> prayers. And that God, no, no, I mean, it's a, like we pray for our food. In the Lord's Prayer, the Lord tells us, no, get up each morning and pray that God would feed us with the food that we need for the day. We don't even think to pray that because we're full. We're well, we think that it's the money in our bank accounts that's going to feed us. We think it's the job that we have that's going to put those funds there to feed us. And we don't know that, no, 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 this is the kindness and the goodness of God, especially when you hear stories. I mean, we've had stories of folks that um, are preparing to eat and their body literally breaks down so they no longer have the strength to put the food in their mouth. And, they never would have got up that morning and thought that that was the case. And so there's so many kindnesses that God gives to us that's meant to be that trail of breadcrumbs to remind us um, yeah, of his goodness. Other encouragements you guys have for the person who feels like the Lord isn't answer? Yeah, I would mention a couple of things quickly. First is just um, to tie back to the previous question is just grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I grew up in a church that was committed to prayer a lot of teaching on prayer, but, but it was a praying church, and it was the expectation that Christians would pray, and so I, I took prayer seriously, but, but it was a roller coaster for me, because if I felt, quote unquote, worthy, I was eager to pray, and if I did not feel worthy, uh, it just crashed my prayer life, and just the the more I, over the years I understood the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it is also one of the reasons why the end of Hebrews 4 is so sweet to me, that we can draw near to the throne of grace because of our great high priest. Amen. And uh, it's not, I'm not welcome at the throne of grace because of my performance, but because of Christ and his finished work. Secondly, it's just obedience. There are these commands to pray. And if I was talking to a member and they would ask me why pray, that would be my first reason, because God commands it. And in my own experience, I, I have learned and am continuing to learn that obedience is its own reward. 
just the, 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 the act of obedience to commit the matters of my life to God in prayer has a humbling effect in my life. It, it, is our, it is, as Mark said, our declaration of dependence upon God. And then the third thing that encourages me to pray is that in so many places, these commands to pray are handcuffed to promises. It is not God beating us over the head saying you should pray more. It is him wooing us, inviting us. It is, it is a father saying, I have these things for you. This is my means for you to get it. If you ask, if you don't worry, but in everything, make your request known. Peace of God and these promises uh, that we're able to hold on to as we pray are constant encouragements in my own life to, to press on in prayer. Like Danny's passage, in light of the coming of the Lord, right, that promise, that future grace held out, pray without ceasing. Any other encouragements? Encouragements we get or encouragements we would give to the person struggling? Uh, either, either. What's on your uh, mind? Yeah, one, one of each of those. Uh, one of the things I learned from Mark is praying through the membership director. Yep. Um, I've tweaked that a little bit to invite others to pray with me through the membership director. So periodically, I'll email the whole church and say, hey, we're going to take the next 30 days, pray through the directory, who's, who's in? Sometimes 40 people, sometimes 60 people. And each day, I'll email, um, the day previous, I'll email the members that we're going to pray for on the following day. So, well, so they contact you and say, I'm, I'm signing up and yeah, doing so this. Yeah, so they sign up. I create a little so list. you have the list. Yep. You email them all. Yep. Okay. You with us now? Yeah, I just, I, I, <laughs> I wanted the mechanics. I wanted the mechanics. <laughs> and so I'll email the folks we're going to pray for the following day. They'll sometimes send back prayer requests. And that's what I'll send out to the prayer group. Um, I think what I'm encouraged by in that little exercise is two things. Um, one is just hearing from each of the members as we go through the directory what, what's on their heart for prayer. Right? I just I feel closer to the sheet in that and feel like I'm praying with more particular knowledge about the sheep in that way. Uh, the second thing is I'll, we'll, I'll often encourage people to send them a text, let them know they pray for them, drop them a note or some such thing. Uh, and when I do that, and I don't always do it every day, I don't always do it for every person, but when I do that and people respond with, with what seems to me to be genuine gratefulness, yeah. that they were remembered in prayer, um, that, that keeps me praying. That, that's, yeah. that's an encouragement to me. To the person who's struggling to pray, along with all the brothers have said and what John O started with in terms of the aim of prayer, getting, getting our eyes up off ourselves more and onto God's agenda, uh, along with all, with all the brothers have said, I think I'd also say to that person, no is a good answer from God, right? It, it's not that God's not answering your prayers. Sometimes he's telling you no or not yet, and that's a gracious, loving answer, all right? Some of the things that we ask God for, they, they just look self-evidently good to us. But God who knows all things, right, knows which of those things are actually cliffs for us. Um, and so to trust him in his nose and to love him for his nose, uh, as much as we say we trust him and love him for his yeses, I think it's an important thing to cultivate uh, in our hearts in that way. So accept the no gladly. And, and, and it's a different thing when we're dealing with somebody who feels like there is a prayer they have prayed that's not being answered, which I think is a pretty common 
experience that we have and members of our church have, and somebody who feels like God never answers their prayers. To me, that feels different as a pastor. I, well, I, that second one, I'm just, I'm more concerned about what they understand about prayer. I would just ask a lot more follow-up questions. Whereas the first one seems like a pretty common Christian experience. And uh, I certainly will ask some questions to understand it, but I would just pray with them and encourage them, you know, to keep going, share things from my own life. The first one, I would more wonder, kind of back to the earlier conversation, you know, do they know the Lord? If they really say, God never answers my prayers, you know, yeah. well, ah, yes, he does, you yeah. know. John's point, I mean, did you eat today? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, how, how do you see things? Go ahead. Well, I, I think that's a good instinct I, because this may be a person experiencing some form of spiritual depression, yeah. right? Uh, obviously, their vision of God is clouded in some way. And so the pastoral work of discovering where that cloud comes from um, and, and how to blow, how to get fresh wind into the person's vision and soul so they can see God more accurately, I, I think is part of what you do. That's where those membership interviews you mentioned earlier are so important because I think as a pastor, that's where you hit foundation, you hit pay dirt. You, 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 at least back at this point, seven years ago, when this guy was coming to know the Lord, he seemed to know God, something happened, something changed. Now, I want to understand what's happened from then till now, you know, in those membership interviews. I'm trying to understand, has he continued to walk with the Lord, or is there a big issue that's, that's sort of, he's not given up to the Lord, that's sort of separating him from the Lord? And it's those membership interviews that give me this sort of starting point of saying, okay, at one point, this person seemed to sincerely be trusting Jesus and be repenting of their sins, and I want to understand the difference between that person seven years ago and who's in front of my face right now. Yeah. And I think that's an important starting place. A couple of times in a couple of different instances, we've kind of half-jokingly wondered about whether or not the person was a Christian. Brother Pastor, don't start there unless you have a lot of other evidence to wonder about that. Sure. Start with, in charity, the person's testimony and that, and that life, what's happened with them over the course of a life and where maybe they've tacked left, tacked right, or fallen into a pit and, and help pastorally before you sort of rush to the conclusion, oh, well, you must not be a Christian. Well, I mean, there may be a hundred other reasons why that person's in a ditch right now. I'm, I'm surprised seminaries don't. Maybe they do these days, Danny, but back in the 80s, they, they weren't. I'm surprised they don't train you in giving membership interviews. I mean, that's gotta be one of the most important, that's like your first meeting with your GP you know, your general practitioner, doctor. I mean, it's just like, it's kind of where the relationship starts. And uh, I know one of the things I do in our staff meetings, sometimes I'll read uh, copies of, um, I think it's Peter Masters at Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, who's printed uh, elders' notes from membership interviews at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London during Spurgeon's ministry. And it's just these wonderful, concise two-paragraph testimonies that sound exactly like what our elders write down, you know, of trying to get to know the person's testimony, how they came to Christ. And I just love hearing these stories because they, they just kind of familiarize with what we need to be looking for, kind of questions we need to ask, what we need to be relishing in these testimonies. And I think that's the that's kind of introductory diagnostic skill you need as a pastor. Are you talking about when people come to, for membership. That's right. Yeah, we, we encourage that. We don't encourage walk the aisle, sign a card, you're in. We encourage our students to create membership classes, 
get to know the people, have them share their testimony, share a little bit about their spiritual history. Different churches, of course, do it in different ways. Some, you know, it's um, a Sunday afternoon. Others, it's six months, plus we want some blood. And uh, we're still not sure we'll let yeah. you in. Well, I don't, I don't care so much whether they walk the aisle during a hymn or, you know, whether they have six months of classes. At some point, no, yeah. there needs to be more than just a testimony emailed in. I need to talk with the person. No. I need to hear it. I need to ask them questions. It needs to be a sort of live interaction between a pastor and a prospective member, whether they're a non-Christian who's just come to Christ and needs to be baptized, or whether they're just coming from another church, they've moved in the area or something. And I'm sure that y'all have had it where people have gotten saved in that membership interview. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, do you guys worry about producing guilt as you preach commands to pray, <laughs> pray, pray? They don't. I'm, I'm awful. I feel horrible. That produces guilt. How do you strike this balance? Well, Paul didn't have a problem doing it. No, he didn't. I was didn't. just doing what Paul did. I mean, you know, they're up there. Well, I'm assuming, we should, I'm assuming we should preach commands because Paul did. So, yes. But we but, also but I, know there's a dynamic of, of, of guilt There's no and question shame. Paul was giving those commands out of the context of their genuine conversion. Yeah. And uh, that they were uh, part of the family. They're the people that he's addressed in the five, although he has commands scattered throughout, but at the end, he's very common to do this. He just fired, there were more imperatives, by the way, on the front side of those eight. And so it's like 12 or 13, just boom, 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 boom. And so Paul didn't see any problem doing that, operating from the uh, conviction that these are people that have come to faith in Christ, therefore they um, are in a relationship so that those commands can be delivered. Just like, again, how parents deal with their children. Uh, we give them commands. We tell them precisely and specifically to do certain things, but there's a father, mother, daughter, son relationship that adds something and gives a context for that that makes it all different. They're not obeying me to become my son. They obey me because they are my son. And I can command them because I am their hopefully loving father. Can't come close to approximating the love of the heavenly father. But it's a father that's directing his children to live in this kind of way. And of course, his end goal is for confirmation, conformity to the image of Christ. I've heard churches criticized as too much imperative, though. Shouldn't we shy away from imperative? No. So help, so help us understand why that critique, what should we be, what's the balance here? An answer that's not exactly an answer to your question. Um, there is a, a good shame is not entirely bad uh, and it has its place. So I, I was, I was going to bring something we're talking about just means of grace that have helped us to appreciate our prayer lives and just for me. Uh, the regular experience of just conviction over sin and just my pride because when someone doesn't pray uh, usually it's you know they're just being proud I'm just being proud at least and uh, I heard a really excellent sermon recently on James 4 um, it's so convicting uh, you know Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right before that, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. One thing the pastor said was, you are exactly as close to God as you want to be. And that was just super convicting. Uh, um, that there's a lack of affection in me 
to be as close to him as I could be. And that's, it is lamentable and it's sad and it's something to be repented of. Um, while you don't want that to be the only, the note in there, but that's a means of grace in and of itself, the, the way that God brings conviction of sin to us, that we might repent and experience the welcome. He, you know, when the prodigal wakes up, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm far from home. Uh, it's, it's always greeted by a father running uh, to, to greet you and welcome you, you back. Uh, but that, that initial shame, that grief, it produces repentance, and that, that has a, a good ministry in the, in the soul of a saint. When the Old Testament prophets look forward to the coming of the New Covenant, they talk about it in terms of God's law being written in our hearts. The psalmist delights in God's words. He delights in God's commands. So we're dealing with the people who are among the righteous. We, we, we are, are probably in several categories from those who just love conviction. And, and, and the more, the clearer you can make the commandments of God, the requirements of God, growing out of the gospel, and the more they feel the sting of conviction, the more life they seem to get. But then you'll have other people who struggle with assurance. Mm -hmm. and, and every lash feels like condemnation. I think we can be, we can, if we don't think through this, we can preach to others the way we enjoy being preached to. Oh, that's good. And we will miss many different classes of people. So I think we don't, we don't shy away from the, the righteous commands of God that grow out of the gospel that are indicative of being his children who delight in him and delight in his word. But we do, I think, want to acquire a kind of pastoral sensitivity where we are, are wrapping the hammers of God in pillows, right, for, for the tender, for the easily broken. Um, and, and we are just thinking about various classes of people in front of us and applying the word, hopefully more sensitively in that way. Um, but I don't think the answer is, oh, we, we don't, Danny's right, there are imperatives all across the New Testament. So I don't think we can be faithful to the Bible and pull back from those or cause them to die the death of a thousand qualifications. You know, let, let God's word be true. We can't protect our people from the Bible. You know, uh, give it line upon line, precept upon precept. So number one, setting those imperatives inside of the relationship as you were saying, and two, but also being aware of different kinds of people and how they receive it. Anything else on this, this particular knot of issues? Guilt, shame, law, imperative, anything else? I can move on, or actually I'm gonna stop if there's nothing else. Well, I, I think just always keep, keep in before people the, the why and the motivation behind the, behind the imperative for the Christian exactly. and make, making sure that it's not moralism or legalism, you know, I'm, I'm not doing this to be saved or to be accepted, but, yeah. but because I am accepted and just, and just keeping that because we're, we're all naturally moralistic and legalistic at heart, so. Amen. HB, final thought. Final thought, I think this is also the benefit of consecutive exposition. Yes. Um, I was just in a section in Mark where Jesus is rebuking and these were tough messages. And I just wanted to get through them. <laughs> uh, but I knew there was light on the other side. I tried to be as faithful as I could. And on the other side, there are these pictures of his grace and his compassion. And um, if you just kind of work through, uh, the scriptures have a way of keeping us balanced as we work through it. Amen.
Amen. One, one quick bibliographical note. We talked earlier about the encouragement of answered prayer. There's a great little banner of truth book called The Power of Prayer. This is not Ian Bounds. It's, it's Samuel Prime, P-R-I-M-E, The Power of Prayer. And it's an account of the New York Prayer Revival of 1859. And uh, it's just, a, it's, it's literally, it's a, in part a transcription of a notebook they kept of prayers in Manhattan that they would write down at these church prayer meetings at noon and then the answers to those prayers. And when I first started reading it, I was sent it in a manuscript years ago when they were going to reprint it. And I started reading it for a friend who was editing it. And I just thought, like, this is as boring as watching paint dry. Uh, you know, and I just, I made it to the first third out of sheer grit and determination. But by the time I was like two-thirds through, I realized I had been hugely encouraged in my prayer life. And uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful book to read. Samuel Prime, The Power of Prayer.